Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to episode 9 of series 3 of an Inside View podcast. We're on the ball, team building. Big shout out to Shire Baron Cafe and Clarny for the continued support. We really appreciate it guys. I would also like to give a mention to Dubai-based ready-made meal company Fit Meals, whom we have also teamed up with. Their ready-made meals are excellent and so convenient. Check out an Inside View podcast Instagram page in order to avail of an excellent discount. This week we're delighted to be joined by two ex-Dublin GAA stars Eric Lowndes and Joe Regan. Both have a connection to multiple all-learning winning manager Jim Gavin. Joe would have played with Jim in the 90s and Eric would have played under Jim during the Dubs all-learning winning success over the past decade. Lowndes and Regan are now located in Dubai and are affiliated to the Dubai Celts. With over 10 All-Ireland medals between them, there is no doubt we have a huge amount to cover. So let's bring them on. First of all, hi, Jor and Eric. Thanks for taking time out to come on Inside View podcast. How are you keeping? Not bad, Jamie. And you? All very well. good. Very, very excited about this now. Um, two uh, former Dublin footballers. Both of you have a connection to one individual. Um, Eric, obviously, you played under under Jim and... Um, uh, Jar, you played played with Jim. So, look, I suppose before getting further, I found this very hard to get clarity. So, uh, Eric, you might just confirm how many All Irelands have you? Is it five or is it seven or, or what is it? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm seven senior. Yeah, seven senior. Twenty ones and a minor then as well. Yeah, so um, very lucky to be involved in a few great teams. Obviously, and very grateful for the few great years that we did have and stuff and. Great group of lads that I grew up with that then went on to, to play senior and the whole lot as well. So, um, yeah, don't know where you're digging up your data from. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, I was uh, I was looking at the Dublin J website and other places and I was getting conflicting information. So, yeah, so the only way to do is go straight to the source and ask them from the, from the outset and set the scene. That's it, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, lads, um, first of all, I suppose, Joe, you're, you're here in Dubai for a long, long time. Um, I'd like to just kind of get an insight into your... Your journey here and your, I suppose, perception to the reality of the of the city. Yeah, I mean, I've been thanks, Jamie. I, I've been traveling to Dubai. I mean, traveling to Dubai. Uh, been, my first visit here was in two thousand and seven. Um, followed up with that with a trip in two thousand and one from honeymoon with my wife, and we, you know, we we were lucky enough to 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 live. You know, my wife's. Um, family are involved in, in the airline business and you know we were encouraged you know encouraged to travel I mean growing up playing GA all your life you know but meeting my good lady Linda you know by being encouraged or by meeting her family you know encouraged me to travel and open up my own eyes with, with a view to travel and it's only with travel you, you see the rest of the world and um, it was only I suppose how did I end up here I mean 10 years ago I ended up here you know and it's amazing how time flies um I mean I end up here because why yes I had the urge to travel but yes you know circumstances 2007 8 9 
back in Ireland during the you know the recession, the, my employment at the time in what I did, um, kind of you know in construction equipment financing and leasing, you know, it led me to two opportunities out this particular way, and and uh, you know it was challenging in Ireland at the time, seven, eight, nine, ten, and 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 you know you felt I, I was kind of one at the time where I felt that you know well you know looking at your future, looking at opportunity, I felt that there was opportunities out there. I'd seen, you know, since 2007 coming to Dubai, I felt there was opportunities here. Myself and my wife made, we made that decision. We, we had uh, two kids at the time and we felt that, it, it, let's, let's see, our initial plan was three years, you know, so, <clears throat> excuse me, here we are 10 years later, you know, but uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity and a fantastic learning curve, you know. And look, I suppose you've been here for such a long time, no, um, you probably have seen a lot of lads come and go and, and women as well. How important do you think the G is here for, I suppose, for expats for in, in a place like uh, like Dubai? Yeah, it's 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 huge. And as as Eric knows, it's it's huge. I mean, Eric's only Eric's here like you know, four or five months now, or six months, I think, and Eric came, but you know, for me as an ex-Dublin footballer, um, you know, and, and uh, St. Vincent's club man coming here when I came here in 2011, you know, the, the the culture of the Irish community is 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 very very strong. So, like, you know, some over the last ten years, it's it's it has changed. But you know, Fibber McGee's was the first port of call as an institution where where a lot of us met and. I remember meeting a group of lads down there the first few months when I arrived and talking about GA and you know. Uh, I think Tony McCarthy who was a legend, you know, in in, in the Dubai Celts at the time was had had preempted my arrival to a few guys. But the first year I said, no, 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 I can't do it, can't do it, got to concentrate more on stuff. But the second year, I you know, once you settled in and embedded in, I felt it was a great opportunity for me to, to give my, you know, probably, you know, my own input into the Dubai Celts at the time. And um once you get involved, it's it's very hard. And I think, you know, Eric will, will I think will vouch for that as well as that after his first few months, you know, Eric joined in and, you know, he can share his own experiences on that. But it, it was fantastic because what you see is guys, you know, every year the transition of guys getting off the plane who are coming to teach and come to work here with their bag and their boots and their local jerseys, their club jerseys from Galway, from down, from wherever. And our, you know, our, our role was to, you know, was to, to encourage the participation in the region to bring guys together. Um, so, yeah, I took the plunge as manager for, for a number of years and, we, you know, we were successful. But the culture behind the GA community here is massive. You know, it's a huge introductory cycle for, for guys to, to blend, to meet, to meet new people. And I think this year, Eric, we had what was over about 70 or 80 guys in the group, in general, in the yeah. WhatsApp group. And... I remember my first session, we had 120, you know, and I'm not saying that we had 120, but the good thing about the GA, how it evolved here was that because we had so many numbers coming, new clubs popped up and it's great for competition and it was great for the the the, the diversity of the region to have Middle East Kerry GA and the Jumeirah Gales guys came along and in, in, I think about four years ago and of course the Celts still maintained that. The, the the position we had uh, in, in the region and it's great and of course Sharjah Gales as well locally you know so and, uh, yeah yeah on, on that point Eric um, what's what has your uh, perception or experience been here since you I suppose since you came to Dubai and then we'll, we'll obviously go on to the, the GA aspect of it yeah I suppose I, I'm still pretty fresh fresh off the boat I suppose in terms of my experience out here 
Um, like I, I actually initially didn't get involved until after Christmas. I kind of came out and, you know, similar to Jerry, I wanted to get myself set up, wanted to get my, my professional life organized, wanted to get, you know, just general living situation organized and get my bearings and, you know, do all the, the nitty gritty stuff of getting set up. It is a bit of a slow process getting set up and everything. So I just kind of wanted to fully immerse myself in that and make sure I had that kind of box ticked for myself. Um, and then actually trip home at Christmas, kind of friends and family and stuff asking if I'd been doing anything. And I just essentially been like, no, I'm doing very little now, to be honest, out here. So um, I suppose coming back then after Christmas, I was like, you know what, I better I better go down and get involved. Um, lucky enough to know a few lads from home and stuff through the GA already. Um, and yeah, to be, they're just so welcoming, I suppose. I've only, I've only been around since January, so I've only done... You know, it was only three months, I suppose, from January to March until the, the last um, competition on Paddy's Day. But, you know, the whole organisation from, you know, there's, there's like 80 lads down training the first night I was there as well. And every single one of them, like, up introducing themselves and welcoming me to the club and the whole lot. So um, massively strong Irish community there. And obviously it's a great place to network and meet new people and meet friends or some friends that you knew or some people you knew previously and make new friends and the whole lot as well. So I'm um, still in the infancy of the whole thing, I suppose. But yeah, en enjoyed that side of it and, you know, getting to mix with other Irish people and hearing their experiences and how they're getting on and where they're working and all that kind of stuff. It all helps you kind of embed yourself and kind of, I suppose, feel part of the, the expat community out here as well. So um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it so far anyway. I haven't, I suppose I've only played three football comps at this at this moment in time, so I can't speak too much on that. But um, the, the lads that we have down at the Gels at the moment are absolutely fantastic. So um, yeah, it's going well so far anyway. Brilliant, brilliant. And I, just on that as well, um, Eric, you, you're, you know, you're after coming out, uh, having played uh, the highest standard in the county, arguably professionally professional you're you were effectively professional athlete you know day in day out you've been doing something around ga then you came out here playing the game out here how different is it compared to the to the game at home i don't think people realize it at all yeah um i suppose i i was actually i i took a I took a photo of myself the first night I went down because I was I was in fits of laughter because the first night down someone handed me a GPS and handed me a GPS vest with the with the tracker in it and I was kind of looking at it me like lads I kind of moved away from all of that stuff what's this about and um, it was just one of the lads was doing a doing a master's or a PhD or whatever in sports science he was just doing a bit of research so I was kind of asking questions looking over the shoulder wondering who was going to be looking at the data or if I had to you know, hit certain metrics and stuff and train. And I was kind of like, I don't know if I signed up for this, but um, yeah, it's a completely different sport, nearly, I suppose. Like it's nine aside on a soccer pitch and, you know, there's a backcourt violation rule on the whole lot. So it's, uh takes a good while to kind of get your head around it. It's more just, I suppose, if you just see it as a conditioned game, like a smaller sided game that you play kind of and the width of a pitch in training, I suppose. But we've actually had lots of practice with it the last few years with playing against set defences and teams having 15 men behind the ball and stuff. So, I suppose it's very similar to that in that way. I was a little bit disappointed, I won't lie. I was kind of hoping it was going to be, you know, man for man, kind of beat one man, score a goal and that kind of thing. But I think those days are gone out here, I believe, for the last few years. It hasn't been like that. So um, it's just a different challenge. And like anything, you just have to adapt to it and, and figure out a way to... Uh, to manage it but like I said I haven't uh, I haven't got that much experience with it out here at the moment um, it is a really high standard like the lads we have playing with the belts are all fantastic footballers and Abu Dhabi have an incredible team down there as well They're, you know you look around and a lot of the names would be household names and you know they're still in good shape and they're looking after themselves and they're as professional as they can be and 
it's a yeah it's a way higher standard probably than I expected um and probably a different sport really as well I suppose to what I was expecting but um yeah it's enjoyable playing in the heat obviously as well as you know at home you might get one day in the high 20s in, in Crow Park or something but um, you don't get them you get it every evening here you're training at 32 degrees heat and stuff so even that alone is just a massive I suppose uh, shock to the system but um, yeah it is it is enjoyable it's like I said it's just a different sport you just have to kind of adapt the mindset around the whole attacking style and stuff it's a lot more hand passing and a lot more controlled and then you really need to value possession and make sure you get a good shot and if you don't um, you know, you mightn't get the ball back for another five or six minutes. So it's a, it's a different challenge. But yeah, I enjoyed the, the three comps I did play in. So, um, yeah. Are you looking forward to the season back in the year? <laughs> um, I suppose that, that's the beauty of it really out here is that, you know, it is a short season because of the weather, obviously. And it, it makes it a lot easier to kind of commit that time. Whereas when you're playing football at home, especially the playing county while you're essentially devoting 11 or 12 months to, to playing gay football like and obviously it's enjoyable and it's great to do it but it, it does take a toll on you I suppose and you're kind of you don't get to you know you don't get to do other things you kind of lose out on other areas or you maybe neglect certain areas of your life and things like that as well so out here I suppose you still have time to do whatever you need to do make sure your professional life is in order um like we essentially don't train if there's breaks for the school holidays and stuff because everyone's away traveling and stuff so it's uh it's it's amazing in that way and there's no like there's no pressure or there's no i suppose expectation of like they're not tracking training numbers or logging you to make sure you're there every night and so if you have a valid excuse it's 100 accepted and lads just accept that as part of life out here that everyone has busy professional lives and that football is is a hobby i suppose whereas at home even at club level no matter what the standard is it is a lot more all-in mentality you're a lot more committed and i suppose in a good in a good way i suppose in a community sense but out here i suppose everyone is from different places different counties different parishes and all that and everyone just understands the importance of having everything else in order in your life and then being able to go and kick footballs in the evening it's just a, a nice way to spend the spend the evenings after work i suppose Definitely not. Definitely, it's uh, and especially meeting you know people from uh, from the motherland, as they say, as well. It makes things uh, much better as well. Two or three times a week. Um, just on on, I like to kind of bring it on as well. No, let's to. I think it's important to obviously look. Dublin have been a dominant force for the last decade, um, and what they've achieved is, is quite phenomenal. In fairness, uh, which I will get into in a couple of minutes. But before that, I like to set the scene. Um, and your. Would I be right in saying that like Jay wasn't that big in in Dublin when you were growing up? Oh, um, Jamie, no. I mean, growing up in in, in Dublin, late seventies, early eighties, you know, I mean, GA was huge, and GA was your life. Um, I think you know, playing for Dublin was always the aspiration of of any individual growing up. But you know, when we started at under ten in Vincent's and. You know, my own club, Arsenal Reach, Skullwear Marino, you, you just have that transition right through. And well, it's from there you, you see the history and the legacy of, of, of where you're coming from and, and those that, that, that you're following in the footsteps of. And, you know, from, from our perspective, you know, from the Vincent's perspective, you know, the, the, the Bobby Doyles, the Hannahos, the Keevenies of this world, you know, they were, you know, legendary figures. You grow up and by the time you reach 16, 17, of course, the aspirations are, are there and, 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 you know, these are, these are guys you see every day, you see every day of the week in the club, you know, club men. Um, so yeah, 
it, 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 it was huge. And, and I think yeah, the aspirations were, were built into you from, from the mentors that we had in, in Vincent's and school where in our school reach growing up, um, which led me to, to try to aspire to, to follow their footsteps from, you know, from, you know, getting to, to Dublin minor captain in 88, 89, and, and then trying to try to take my, my career from there on. And, of course, when you're growing up, then you're you're meeting all these legends of 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 now that that you started playing with when you were under ten, and so yeah, Dublin it was an, it was an aspiration. I mean, it was huge. But we had hurling and football. I don't know, but Eric played hurling, but I played hurling and football, um, and we were encouraged massively to play both codes. But it's only as you saw how you know <clears throat> the great Dublin teams of the seventies and eighties you know, being built or even the sixties and, and where you wanted to see yourself as a player. And, you know, you were encouraged by your parents and your family and your schools, of course, to participate. Yeah. The objective was put on, put on the Dublin Jersey one day, you know, or someday. And, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> and even at under 16 for schools and colleges, where there was, a, you know, an amalgamation of Dublin North and Dublin South, they were proud days. So, yeah, I, I mean, putting on the Dublin Jersey at any age was, was your goal no matter what code it was, but, you know, Dublin football, Dublin hurling, yeah, football was stronger. Um, for me, you know, comments in, in the past, I was, a, you know, a natural hurler manufactured footballer, but it's only when you, when you, you know, you, you kind of set yourself in a pathway, you, you know, you wanted to play for football for Dublin. That's the, the way your career path wanted to take. You wanted to follow those legacies, you know, and, Good job we did, and good job I did, and, and and got to meet some fantastic people along the way. Before we bring bring Eric in here, Dublin obviously was you know it was it was very very big in the in the city and the county at the time, but it really kind of took on another life of its own. Um, some people say when AIG got on board, but it, that didn't happen in the flick of a switch. Was there some individual that kind of got everyone steering in the right direction at some stage? I'd like to get both of your inputs on in that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's if you take the history from from Dublin, you know, winning All Ireland from '83 to 2011, you know, that's that was the history that, uh, you know, the legacy period that that I grew up in, and and um, you know, watching '83 or remembering '83 and, and being starved on All Ireland, you know, sorry, big part '83, 1995 to 2011, um, you know, but the manager in question in in, in 2011, yeah, Pat Gilroy. You know, was was a very good friend of mine in school. We grew up together. And Pat was a fantastic individual. Um, you know, I'm really, 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 and Eric can 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 vouch for this too as well. And after after being you know mentored by him, but you know, Pat was just a, such a you know very intelligent guy. And I always remember with Pat, like you know, with theorems and with mathematics, and with, you know, he could do things very very quickly. And he was very very sharp. You know, he do something on the back of a Weetabix packet like scribble a theorem together, put on the board, and the rest of us are looking in the classroom going, like, how in the name of God did he get that? Like, But, like, he, he wouldn't have, you know, this was when we were 16, 17, just before we did our leaving cert and stuff. But I think Pat went and studied engineering and stuff, but very, very methodical, but methodical, but fantastic eye for detail and for for being able to to to, to, to see where, where, you know, ultimate gain can be got from, from you know, from, from mechanics. And I think that's, what he did in 2011, you know, I think was, or sorry, in, in, I think 2008, 9, 10, and when he when he took Dublin on, he 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 instilled that body of of organisation, teamwork, structure. Um, forget about 
you know, you put money to one side, but everything about managing a team is all about those embodiments of organization. I think if you don't have the organization, it brought in Mickey Weed and it brought, brought bringing in guys, but he was so well, he was so well acclaimed, well, I'd say acclaimed by, by, by guys, but I knew, knew, knew Pat so long that I think his organization skills were just so factorable to, to bringing guys together. Um, and building a team and i think that's what that's what he did and he showed that with his own his businesses you know in his career dublin football dublin hurling st vincent's his, his own career as a player you know fantastic commitment but fantastic organizational skills and i think that's what he did he just took dublin in 2008 2009 you know and, and, and said right and he built a structure around it but a great man manager i think i think eric can vouch for that as well as a great individual but a great man manager and great guy to say well it's either black or white you know and i think that's that was a fantastic thing but yes definitely the catalyst to change do you mean to add on to that eric or would you've experienced um being coached under him or mentored under him i i think jerry's adding a few years to me there my, my first year with was 2013 so pat was just gone jim was brought, brought me in as for so, um, I, I obviously I've heard great things about Pat. I obviously came into the setup soon after we'd won that All Ireland in 2011. Um, I actually played minor myself in 11 and 12. So I, my abiding memory of 2011 was we had just lost to Tipperary in the All Ireland minor final. So it wasn't a great day for a lot of us. I remember a lot of us were a bit sheepish sitting in the stand watching it. So it was a little bit of a different experience for us that day, um, losing to Tipperary. But a lot of that team then went on to play for Dublin over the next. You know, whatever number of years. So, um, we, we had our days too, which was great. Um, in terms of, I suppose Dublin getting things in order and and getting on the right track. I suppose I'm, I I'd be kind of out of the loop in terms of I kind of came into it when that kind of production line had already started. I was very lucky coming through age groups. I was, you know, very lucky to be selected on development squads and stuff the whole way up from. Um, from like the they do an Easter tournament under 12 which was you know the biggest thing in your primary school life was could you make that under 12 Dublin North team or whatever it was so um, I'm just a product of the system I suppose so there had been a lot of good groundwork done and a lot of groundwork laid before I'd even got there but um, the guy that was running the development squads at the time Stephen O'Shaughnessy would have played with Dublin obviously in the the mid 2000s I suppose um, would have been a big factor in all of that he was kind of overall the development squads and from an organisation perspective and then he actually coached me with Dublin West then out in Westminster Gales on Sunday mornings for uh, for the good of three or four years before we broke into minor teams and stuff then over the next few years but yeah there's an incredible amount of work done in the background and I think to to pin it on a sponsorship deal is just so short-sighted I suppose there's so many good people so many good clubs so many volunteers in and albeit in perhaps larger clubs with bigger numbers or whatever we can't deny that obviously the, the population is obviously there but you know, the groundwork is still being laid. These big clubs don't just magically arrive with 100 good under 12s. Like, they have to put the groundwork in and the schools and the whole lot as well. So, um, there's an incredible amount, amount of work being done by all of the GPOs and everything in Dublin as well. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I suppose that, that the group of lads that I came through with from those 2011 and 2012 minor teams, we then had success at under 21 in 2014 as well. And then there's something like, I think if you looked up the team sheet from our 2014 under 21 win there's something like probably 17 or 18 lads that played senior championship for Dublin now so there is that sense of a bit of luck as well with lads just being born in the same age group and things a bit like the the group down in Kerry at the moment that won all the All-Irelands at minor and stuff like there 
just comes pockets of talented groups, I suppose. And yeah, there's all, a lot of hard work and those lads work incredibly hard themselves as well. But, you know, the chances of having that amount of players at an age group is just, you know, kind of generational stuff, I suppose. So just very lucky to be, I suppose, growing up with those guys and uh, involved with, as I said, with development squads and all that the whole way up. And like Jared was the be all and end all for me growing up, I suppose. I was very engrossed in it. Also played hurling as well. I played minor hurling with Dublin in 11 and 12 as well. Also lost two Ireland minor hurling finals. So, um, yeah, I was right there, you know, um, living that same, I suppose, childhood as Jared, albeit 20 years later or whatever it might have been. But it was definitely a massive part of my life growing up. And I, I wasn't lucky enough to have... I suppose the heroes in my own local club, the way Jer had, I did have heroes in my own local club. They mightn't have been, you know, as as highly regarded as the guys that Jer would have been looking up to coming through Vincent's. But um, yeah, I did have so, some great role models in the club as well, and two older brothers as well that I always wanted to emulate and be, be like, and, and that kind of thing as well. So I was very lucky with that. But in terms of yeah, the, the I suppose the reorganisation of Dublin GA, I suppose I'm a little bit too young to know what really went on in the background. I just know that. Whoever did what they did, it, it, it you know benefited me majorly, and it benefited the guys that I grew up with massively as well. And it's had you know a massive impact on us having success and being the people that we are and achieving the things we did achieve as well. So very grateful to to everyone who who laid the laid the path for us along the way. Brilliant, brilliant. But I I, I want to touch one point now. But before I go to that, you're a dual intercounty player. How was that in regards to the body? Do you, you know, there's a lot about, you know, burnout and all that. Yeah. Or did it make much of a difference? I, I used to joke about it in school, like with lads. I, I actually went to school in Mead. So I, when I was playing sixth year in school, I was I was in classes with guys that we actually ended up playing in the All-Ireland Minor Final in 2012. There was two or three guys in my year in school that were actually lining out on the other team or whatever. And I used to joke with them being like, oh, I'm much fresher than you because because I was playing both, I didn't have to train that often. They managed it quite well between... Um, Desi was our minor manager and Shea Boland was our hurling manager and there was a group of three or four of us so we, we managed it quite well like myself Connor McHugh and Cormac Costello in 20 uh, in 2012 so we basically just played matches which was fantastic and we were studying and stuff otherwise but we didn't have to be overloaded with the training it does get a little bit difficult to manage obviously as you progress a lot of us tried to play 21s and stuff and it just became a lot between Sigerson's and you know college league games and club championships and 21s club championships and playing senior under county and juggling hurling and football um a few of us tried to do it myself and Cormac and Kieran and Connor McHugh all tried and Emmett O'Connell all tried to kind of dabble with both while being on senior squads and it's just it's a minefield in terms of organization and you know you really need to be I suppose the best player and never have an off day kind of thing to be able to manage it which is obviously an unrealistic aspiration but uh yeah no I thoroughly enjoyed it I would always recommend playing both as, for as long as you can and um, still played with my club as often as I could while playing football with Dublin I always tried to go back and play a couple of championship games with the hurlers at the end of the year or whatever as well but um, yeah I don't know if I was ever called a natural hurler like Jair was though he's a bit more of a plugger of a cornerback I think <laughs> yeah I'm, I mean just on Eric's point there Jamie just what he said about the, you know and it's, it's, it is one of the things that you know we had grown up you know and Eric had it too it was a dual player syndrome you know the, the dual player issue and you know I loved hurling when I was growing up and, and uh, you know, in 91, 92, I was a member, I was on the Dublin Senior Hurling Panel at the time. So, of course, you were trying to keep boat codes going. So, on Saturday mornings, then I think it was around the winter, winter 92 season, 
I'd just been drafted onto the Dublin kind of league panel at the time, but I was also playing hurling for Dublin as well with Lar under Lar Foley. And uh, one morning when training like nine o'clock with the senior hurlers, and, and at the time, you know, we, we, we'd cycle, put the put the stretchy on the bike, put the hurl on the back of the bike, cycle to Bell Camp, and then I'd cycle straight down Malide Road to Dublin training in Parnell Park. And I remember heading in anyway in, into Parnell Park for say eleven o'clock training with Dublin that morning and. Pat O'Neill met me. I think Pat had just taken over the Dublin, Dublin squad. Out, uh, no, it was 92 and 93. Pat had just taken over. I think it was 93. Um, after Paddy Cullen. And he says, what's that on your bike? You know? And I said, that's my hurl. And he says, well, where were you? I was at Dublin Hurling training. And, you know, we all, the dual, the dual player issue was raised many years. But Pat's in, in Pat's O'Neill's own words where if you see that, if I see that thing on your bike again, you're off this squad. So it was kind of a simple decision really to, to make, to, to say, well, I want to play football for Dublin, but that was Pat's, that was Pat's way. You know what I mean? It was no, you know, well, we'll allow you to train here, train there. So I was scared shitless at the time, excuse my French, but I had to go and tell Lara Foley. My decision was, of course, I wanted to play for Dublin, but how do, how do I tell Lara Foley that, you know, it was the legend of the time, uh, great Vince's man as well, tough man, how do I tell him that I'm actually stepping away? And uh, Lara put me up against a wall and Vincent's one night when I told him with his fist around that side. He goes, you told me I was, I was making a huge mistake, but, you know, but he pumped my chest so hard that night, fisting me into a wall. I'll never forget it, you know, and it was actually at his son, John's 21st. But, you know, we all, you just couldn't do it at the time. I think, Eric, you know, you're, you, you just couldn't play at, at, at both levels and try to command hurling on football. But Dublin football was, was, I think, as I said before, what we aspired to. Yeah, did I miss the hurling? Yes, I did, you know, hugely. But uh, I'm actually back playing hurling at the moment with Brendan McKitterick, who's a great Fingalians man. And I play with his brothers, Tom, and, and uh, I'm back with Fingalians. We actually go around to my local park on a, on a couple of nights a week and we puck, up, puck a ball in the park. So it's great to put the hurling back in the hand. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have been saying that, to be honest, Jerry. Like, I... You know, growing up, I was naive enough to think that I could probably do both. And, mm. you know, that pipe dream, it never, the dream was to play in Crow Park with Dublin. It wasn't to, to play football or hurl, and it didn't really come into it. It was just to be there and to, to represent the club and the family and the county and the whole lot, whether it was with a yeah. hurl or with a football. Very lucky to for a few years. Like in, in 2012, when we were on those successful minor teams, like we had, I think, a, like a group of five of us played in like five All Ireland finals in a two year period or something with two hurling and two football, and there was a replay in the hurling against Tipperary. So we were very much accustomed to playing in there on big days, which was fantastic. But like, you kind of don't sit back and have a look at it. Like, when you're in it, you're kind of thinking, yeah, this is standard on the this every week. And then yeah. as you grow a bit more life experience and go to college and realize that, like, you know, that's not the norm and that takes an incredible amount of work to get there and the whole lot. So you're kind of when you're in a bubble, whether it be at minor or 21s or senior, you are kind of all in and you've got the blinkers on. And um, I suppose, yeah, I just wanted to, to play for Dublin, I suppose. And I, I was, I did that up until minor. I tried a little bit of 21s in 2013 and, and Jim actually encouraged it. There was a group of five of us, I think, that were on the senior football panel and Jim was smiling and nodding and saying, yeah, work away and play hurling. But you kind of knew in the background that like you're missing training, you were missing training and there's 35 other incredible athletes out there trying to take your place and stuff. So it was very much go and play if you want. Yeah, if you think you can kind of thing. Like, but it was, he never, he never said no, if you know what I mean. But you kind of knew 
the more time you miss, the, the further down you go in the pecking order. Like so, um, I didn't try it in 2014. It didn't work out too well in 2013, so I didn't give him another go then. And yeah. um, well, yeah, it's yeah, playing both is you know it's it's definitely all you want to do in Dublin growing up anyway, and that's one of the one of the beauties of playing GA in Dublin is that almost every club that's the option or if it's not there's a there's a club 10 minutes down the road that can give that option as well so um yeah always the dream to play both i suppose and just uh before we go any further i'd like to highlight because i remember we we spoke about this before jar um and it's quite remarkable that the guys you played with i think this is the, the year you won all ireland majority then went on to be a manager in some capacity with 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 county teams or even with uh club teams um, I suppose the two standout guys would be Desi Farrell and uh, and Jim Gavin, which which would link in with, with Eric as well. But before we get into that, do you want to kind of briefly run through some of them? Yeah, well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Pat, I grew up with school, you know, from 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 10, 11, you know, right through. So so Pat and myself were together, great family friends, um, great, great Gilroy family, right? Um yeah, we 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 progressed our careers right up to, you know, as from school, leaving cert right through colleges and, and then through Vincent's, Jim and Desi, Desi um, from under 10, you know, the minute Desi played in St. Vincent's class, Nevin, he played in the FINA, Jim was the same with Round Towers and Clondalk and I can't recall the, the, the school team, but again, we were both the same age, we're both, you know, just gone early 50s this year, I think the two boys are 50 this year as well, but um, Desi was the first guy I played against, and I remember him in in, in under ten final in, in against School Wear Marino versus St Vincent's Class Nevin. That's how it started, and Desi played hurling football. Jim was not as much hurling, but we just we just our careers just year on year and year thereafter, right up to we both you know the, the myself, Jim and Desi played minor together. We played under twenty one together. Gitter Pat, Pat joined us on the Pat was on the under twenty one team together, and then we all I think. Jim and, and, and Desi progressed and Giller progressed the year ahead of me into the senior team. And that, that's that's where it's gone. And so you look at, so yeah, so the progression of us all together, um, you know, Desi hurling and football, we many, many battled together. And of course, great friends. And we had great trips away with their families and stuff as we as we evolved with Dublin. But um, the, you know, you look at the progression of Dublin football since 2011, since Pat, you know, and then you look at the, you know, what Jim did. And now you look what Desi's doing. And I had the looks, you know, the pleasure of playing with these guys or, and, and growing up with them, not playing with them, but just growing up with them. And you always knew that the capabilities were there, the cred, you know, the credentials were there, and um, the experience and knowledge. And not, you know, Jim and Desi, but Jack Sheedy is trying teams, uh, you know, Longford, Paul Bealan, Paul Curran, you know, I, I mean, I could go probably go through most of the guys there that have taken county teams in, in different levels. Um, you know. Uh, but certainly the, the three lads, um, since I was, you know, since we were 10, definitely, uh, you know, we, we, and we still, you know, we're still, once they remain, we're, we're still friends, but we haven't seen each other in a while, but we look, we look forward to the day that we can, you know, um, <laughs> just, just on that, the day you can, you were supposed to do the anniversary during COVID, wasn't it? That, yeah. 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 Is is there any, uh, scheduled, no, um, the- reunion? Nothing at the moment. And fairness to Paul Clark and Bela, one of the lads, we still have our WhatsApp group. I'm sure like Eric has probably a few WhatsApp groups with the lads over the years. But I think 2020, we were due to have it with the restrictions again, still into 2021. And, you know, a lot of the lads like Keith and, 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 uh, 
you know, Diego, they love their rounds of golf and I'm sure they're playing away together with Mick Galvin and Desi and Jason at the course as well. They're, you know, they're, they're playing away. But I think since the restrictions were lifted earlier this year, I, I have no doubt that, um, you know, that something will be on the horizon, hopefully, you know, by the end of the year or midsummer, you know, around the golf. And, uh, but certainly an event to, to honour the occasion. You know? Brilliant, brilliant. And just on that point, no, let's, um, I'd like to just kind of bring it into Desi Farrell and Jim Gavin. Is there any certain qualities that, looking back now, you would have identified, say, growing up, um, that really kind of made them stand out to, you know, become very successful managing Dublin? Um, and then I'd like, obviously, bring Eric in as well. Yeah, I think, it, you know, you look at both both individuals. I mean, in, in Jim's case, you know, you look at the way he played, uh, you look at his career as, a, as an airline pilot. I mean, the way he played, his work rate was phenomenal. You know, so when when Jim was positioning half forward in the '95 team, if you look at Jim's picture when he finished when when that all was, his jersey was drenched, drenched to to a tee. His work rate was 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 unbelievable, and I think he instilled that work rate, and the and I think Eric can vouch for it too, and, and say that the work rate that he instilled into the forwards and backs and midfielders within the Dublin team about defensively, plus. As an airline pilot, you have to have some degree of structure and organisation, and again, like like Pat qualities like Pat had in knowing that you know that there's boundaries and there's rules and there's regs. That if you if you work and you play within certain structures and have the work rate to adapt to it, then that's when the natural you know the engine starts running. And I think that's what Dublin did over the years. He gradually just gradually got into you know into position with teams to grind them down, but continuously stick to the system. Um, Desi was the same, you know, Desi, um, again, as, as from a career perspective, as a psychiatric nurse, the chairman of the, the, the CEO of the GPA, you know, again, business sense, knowledge, awareness, but also as, as, as an individual, as a forward, scoring forward, energy, work rate. I mean, this is what, what instilled a lot of, a lot of the, 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 the abilities into the, the, the current players, but Desi in particular and Jim in particular going back. Where you had them, you know, they, they've done so much for Dublin GEA since under 15 development squads, 16 development squads. You know, I think all the guys can relate to that. So by by being involved at such a such a young age with players and seeing the talent coming through, their commitment was relentless, you know, and I, you have to admire that the way they they've taken, you know, the Dublin GA scene by 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 sheer effort, you know, and I think taking that from and a you know, using their own time and their energy to build teams, and 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 that's what they've done in in in, in every sense. But yeah, the certain the core competencies that 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 needs for teamwork and, and building teams. Certainly, the three guys and, and Jim and Desi in particular as well. They had it. Their work rate was phenomenal. You know, and the love of Dublin and the love of Dublin GA. What do you think of that, Eric? From you know, from playing under him, um, what like under both. Desi and uh, and Jim, uh, what was your experience? I think I think I suppose to preface all of that for me, um, you know, I grew up idolizing like the Dublin team of the, the mid two thousands, like Richard Alan Brogan being a standout and that kind of it, that kind of era. So a lot of the Jairs, Piers, and, and the, the guys that were successful in that ninety five team and stuff. Although I would have known their names and things, I wouldn't have. You know, they weren't my heroes. They weren't my idols growing up. So. I actually didn't realize until kind of, you know, later as a teenager that the amount of like exposure I had to these guys that had been successful was was off the charts, really looking back. Like nearly I'm pretty sure I was coached by every manager name there, like when he was going through players, like including Keith Barr with the minor hurlers, like there's lads that were just 
popping up doing their bit for Dublin GAA that you know little known to or not seeking any plaudits or not trying to be the big dog in any way but just trying to give their time to Dublin GAA um, and, and I suppose we had different relationships or different interactions with all of those different guys that Jared's mentioned and I suppose that again needs to be credited to the, to the Dublin County Board for getting those lads back in and for them giving their time and you know sharing their experiences and, and helping us to grow as you know, being coached by Desi at 13 or 14 and having the likes of Steve Noshockasy that played as well. And then with Shea Boland, former Dublin Hurler, we brought in Keeper to help him. And Desi obviously had Mick Galvin with him and, and those guys who had, all, who had all played. And then obviously all the guys that were involved with the senior squads with Jim over the years, all being recycled back through the system as well, which is it's incredible. Um, I suppose for me with Desi, like I, I had him since I was a teenager, like so I'll, I'll always have so much respect and, and gratitude for the opportunities that he gave me going through development squads and with under 16s and um, two years at minor and then three years at 21s and then back in I, I suppose I played for um, a season and a half there when he took back over as the senior manager so um, Desi is the most passionate football man you'll come across and and everything he does for Dublin football is out of just pure love for Dublin um, like if you're wearing a Dublin jersey representing Dublin he will do anything within his power to, to to help you, to facilitate you, to help you grow as a person. So I think Desi's whole style comes from, I suppose, a passion and, and a love for building relationships with individuals, which is incredibly powerful, obviously. And it's obviously a conscious decision and a part of his personality that he is like willing to be vulnerable and put himself out there and, and share that with players. And it's so empowering then to go and play for that. And especially as a young lad coming through with minors and 21s. Like we never felt like we were 16 or 17. He made us feel like we were, we, we had arrived on the scene kind of thing and that we were, we were there to stay. And I suppose gave us the, I suppose the, the life skills or the organization or the, the motivation to, to know what it takes to actually play at that level. And, you know, the, the lad, the team over the last 10 years, although Jim has obviously been there for that, Jim did take on the lads a little bit older lads were, you know, 19, 20, playing under 21s when Jim had all the success with 21s team. So the two of them, I suppose, together have, you know, coached 30 years of Dublin footballers nearly. And, you know, that the lads that have been successful have been a product of the two of them. Jim will be a lot more methodical and a lot more, I suppose, um, cool and calm and collected. And, you know, everything is everything is a composed decision that's rational and there's no, there's no real emotion or no real over over attachment to anything it's just cool calm and collected do things this way and we'll be successful if you don't do things this way we probably won't and that was his whole mentality I suppose around um, building a team and I suppose the ambition from Jim as well coming in building on what Pat had done previously and with an incredibly talented group of players that a lot of them when Jim took over I suppose had been established in their county footballers for six or seven or eight years some of them and taking that over from Jim. Jim just kind of came in and went, you've won one All-Ireland. There's been 14 years between them. Let's make this a more regular occurrence. Dublin should be winning an All-Ireland every every year, every two years or whatever it was. And I suppose he actualized that then over the next, um, whatever it was, seven or eight years that he was involved. So, um, yeah, an incredible, I suppose, era for Dublin. I think, you know, because all the lads, a lot of the lads are still playing. I know a lot of lads have retired over the last few years from that earlier kind of past group I suppose there's still a few of them knocking about but I suppose in time people will appreciate probably more than they do currently what was done and 
suppose the impact that that had on the city of Dublin itself and you know the I suppose the buy-in from communities and clubs and things over the last seven eight nine ten years both men's and and ladies like the ladies have had an incredible time with it as well and the motivation for children male and female boys and girls all over the county is at an all-time high I would say and you can't go anywhere without seeing a game on or a club training or a sign to come down to an under sixes academy or whatever it is so um yeah it's a great time for WGA at the moment and long may it last and Eric how did he from from your opinion or your perspective um how did he create that culture because touch on what you said you said obviously there was like a lot of older guys in there that won a dollar and then I suppose they would have been confident around the time then Jim came in and, and kind of put him back in line but how do you keep that culture and maintain, maintain that culture for the, the six or seven years um, and especially with new guys coming in all the time so Jim's big thing I suppose was just being a facilitator like he he always empowered the players to make decisions to you know set parameters for what's acceptable or to keep standards and those kind of things and a lot of the players were so experienced at that time and such an incredible bunch of leaders within the group as well it didn't take a school teacher standing in front of the lads telling them what to do it was all self-managed within the squad and lads knew what was acceptable and what wasn't and what was going to lead to a better performance and what wasn't and I suppose it was if it wasn't going to make the team better then don't do it was kind of the the mantra I suppose and if you weren't buying into that you weren't going to play and you you had no if you wanted to play you had to buy in and I suppose you learn that behavior coming in the door as an 18 year old and having you know the older crew still around at the time you're like Dennis Bastix and Alan Brogans and these lads that have been there for 10 years and you're just learning modeling the behavior that they're showing you know turning up for training and seeing lads there 40 minutes early getting their kicking done or half an hour early going through videos with coaches or getting feedback on setups or looking at the players they're going to be marking at the weekend and going through the tapes on how we're going to organize ourselves and it's just those little habits I suppose that create that growth and then if you see a guy who's you're competing with is out early getting his kicking done or he's been down early to get a massage from the masseuse to look after his recovery or he's gone to the sea after training or whatever it is it's just all those really really tiny kind of the aggregation of small things bundled together it's culture isn't written on a board and follow these three rules to success it's it's much more livable if, if if it's not achievable to to live by it week to week then then it didn't it, it wasn't there like you know it was it was having a buzz in the whatsapp group with lads meeting up for lunches or lads going for coffees or lads getting to the sea for recovery or you know lads meeting up to hit a few golf balls or whatever it was it was just the group had taken on a life of its own and, and yes jim led all of that and helped build it initially but by year two year three year four the back team and everything that we had involved everyone knew what they should be doing how to manage their bodies how to get the best out of themselves where to go if they needed feedback all of that kind of stuff so it, it wasn't it wasn't just Jim it was a lot of leaders in the group and it I suppose the continuity of strong leaders is fostered by that group then as well we didn't just have the captain or two or three lads telling other lads what to do it was Straight away, a lad comes in off a successful under 21 team. He's put up in front of the group to talk about the opposition at the weekend, tell us how he sees it or what he's seen from them. And it just gives you a different perspective on it. We'd all kind of been in that bit of a mold of, you know, knowing what to say or how to go about things. So keeping that fresh all of the time and always having two or three new guys coming in and 
forcing them to give an opinion in a team meeting or, you know, checking in with them away from training to make sure they know what their, their job is and that kind of thing. Um, and that just filters through the squad. When when you come in and someone is WhatsApping you, asking you how you're getting on this week or if you want to meet up for a chat or I'm going down early to take a few kicks, do you want to meet up with me beforehand? Then you just learn that from them and you see other lads come in and it just has a knock-on effect. So um, Jim's big thing was just being a good person. Um, and if you're a good person, then if you look after your personal life, professional life and turn up training in, in good spirits, then the football will look after itself. So just that being a good person was the main mantra behind Jim building that successful culture. And um, yeah, it was it was successful for him, I suppose. And lads would be eternally grateful to him for building that and you know, giving them the tools to create that environment as well. I believe he was very good with you know making sure he had a uh, good professional life as well. Um, he's a big advocate for that. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's one advantage I suppose of you know having a network of forty or forty five lads of the with professional backgrounds in different areas and being based in Dublin is obviously a massive advantage over you know lads that have to travel home at the weekends and stuff. But um. Yeah, I suppose he, he always encouraged that to, for lads to sort out their education to make sure they were doing their degree or they were studying or they were doing further education. A lot of lads completed masters and got a little bit of help through, you know, connections or the GPA or whatever it might have been. But that was always a big focus. And anything around exams, he was always fantastic. Like exam season in, in college, it was basically like, I don't expect to see you sort out your exams, make sure you have no repeats in the summer kind of, kind of mentality and you're freeing yourself up for later on in the year. And never any issue I missed a couple of training camps and stuff with college exams and there was never any you know there was never any pressure to get down after an exam or put yourself under any stress getting on buses or driving or getting trains anywhere or anything so yeah he really had I suppose the the whole picture in mind it wasn't just you weren't just a footballer you were a person you were an emotional being with other needs as well I suppose and he always made sure that they were looked after as well. Before I, I bring Majora um, back in, I just want to ask you something. I should ask you this from the outset, but what made the decision to step away from the Dublin panel? Um, there was no major decision, I suppose. I was just at a point in my life where I had been, I'd been, you know, all in in a football environment or in a in a sports performance sense since I was sixteen years of age. It was up on a minor team, like, and given to the or owing to the success we did have, I suppose I was. In, in in an environment where we were having success and the years were just rolling on and back to back. And so I went from 11-12 at minor straight into senior squad in 2013, right through to 2021 and mix in, you know, going to college and professional life and everything like that. And I just felt like it was the right time for me to do something different and to take a, take a step away and, you know, move out here and see it, see a different part of the world and experience a different culture and, um, I suppose grow professionally as well. It's a great opportunity out here. There's so many Irish teachers out here working with fantastic organizations and the life skills and the professional environment that we're involved in out here, being able to take those skills back home as well is something that will definitely benefit me in the future. Um, so there was no major, I suppose, stepping away. It was more just a time in my life where I'd given that kind of nine years, I suppose, and I know people look at minor as kind of not being all in, but I felt like that environment that we were in, I was playing early on football as well. So, I, you know, I played eight years of senior football, was a child pretty much going in. I was called in at 18 years of age, like, and um, although obviously very grateful at the time and incredibly proud to be brought in, I suppose it does 
you know, I've, I've seen a lot of my friends and stuff had that bit of time in college where they did a bit of travel or, you know, they kind of lived that college life a little bit more in terms of just having a little bit of free time or being able to go away for summers and just that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was just more a time in my life where I felt like if I didn't do it now, I probably wouldn't move abroad in terms of like I'll be, I'm, I'm turning 28 now in, in June. So I am pushing on as well. So um, I didn't want to be a... Uh, I didn't want to be heading away, I suppose, any later, really. And it was something, travel is always something that I wanted to do and getting to experience coming out here and growing personally, I suppose. Personal development is the main thing. Um, travel and, you know, new life experiences. And all that. It wasn't so much a, a breaking up with football or anything like that. There was no major, uh, no major reason behind it other than just personal growth, I suppose, and to do something different and try a new challenge in a new place and, you know, challenge myself to grow as well. Uh, you touched on one thing um, at different stages of the, the conversation so far. The dream is to play in Crow Park um, at various points in this, this podcast. Um, Joe, you won the All-Ireland, um, but in the lead-up you got injured. How that must have been absolutely devastating. Um, and how have you kind of dealt with it or, or yeah. accepted it uh, I mean Jamie look I mean injury is part of any any sportsman sportsman's career you know I think one of the things that you learn from you know I mean from a player's perspective and again it's you know it's all about recovery recovery management when you do get injured a lot a lot of the cases you know it's what you do and what support structures you have to get yourself back in a physical condition that you're you know you're you're stronger than when you were before you got injured the thing you know i think you know self reflection was that you know Eric started playing when when you again same age as i was but when you're playing both codes hurling a football we were always you know, injuries for me accumulated over a long, long period of time. And I felt that, you know, by the time I hit 18, 19, I was playing on maybe 10 different teams in one year, including inclusive under 21, senior, Dublin seniors, minor. And then I played Dublin junior for one year and training techniques at the time. And But just in general, the body, the body just got weak, I suppose. And by the time the 94, well, the 94 Leinster final came, I, I took a heavy belt um, in the Leinster final that year. That resulted in a double groin operation in October with Jerry McEntee and, and through Pat, of course. That really never, never, I mean, it didn't, did it recover? It did, but it came back to me three more times to a point where I needed three more groin operations thereafter. The shoulders in 95, well, well I dislocated my shoulder just in, 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 in 95. But in order to get it back, to get myself back on track, like, you know, and, and like Eric can relate to, you do so much you you can physically to get yourself back on track that you to be involved that you actually forget about one well one shoulder you're constantly you forget about the other. But I played a challenge match with Vincent's one night and then around June July post the Leinster final of ninety five and I ended up dislocating my other shoulder. Um, I just got back probably into the into the squad. I wasn't considered for the All Ireland semi final. Um, I just got back into the training squad for the the, the September and it, it, listen, it was great to be part, still part. I mean, Jack Jack. GD tours cruciate that that summer as well. And Dermot DC also, I think, had a, had a significant, a significant hamstring problem. And but look, this the strength of the, the the squad, we were around each other for so long, and um it was still fantastic to be involved with it. I I went through three significant groin operations, two shoulder problems, 
Um, but one of the things was is recovery, you know, recovering from injury and being patient enough and having the discipline to 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 concentrate on your whole body, not just your core. I mean, you can concentrate on your core. I think when I'm a groin problem, I forgot about here. And you know, you have this thing that you you know in your own mind at the time that you're able to you're I'll be grant you know I'll be able to get up and get on like anybody else and then you look at other guys who like Paul Curran or you know Paddy Moran at the time who were pumping weights and you look at yourself well you didn't do that you were looking at other things or but yeah injuries did did inhibit and I stuck around for another probably with Mickey Whelan 96 97 after a while but at 97 I had the, the last groin operation then but I was never the same. The once the groin operations were, were, were on top of me, and you know I lost my speed. I lost a little, well. Some some guys will beg to differ about Jerry Regan having speed, but, um, but yeah, I felt I wasn't comfortable. You know, I wasn't comfortable turning. I wasn't comfortable taking on guys. Um, and I, I, I stepped away from kind of senior ball when I was like at 28, 29, and I just went back playing intermediate, and I actually took back up the hurling again. And then suffered another massive injury playing hurling in one competition when I was 29, 30, and I nearly lost this finger. And I just said after that, by 31, I was really gone. You know, I was I was gone. I played a bit of intermediate football, but I went back. So I took on the coaching. I that's when I started coaching with the, you know some greats and Vincent's. With you know, I mean Jerry O'Brien was a, was a was a great man and Vincent's who was a former chairman and players that I played with Tony Nealon you know, Shay Fleming in the hurling and then certain guys in football as well. We, we just got involved and, and I started coaching minors under 21s and seniors, you know. But when I was 18, actually, I took it. Brian Mullins made me take an under 10 team when I was 18. And that's how, that's what you were doing. You were playing, you were training, you were doing this, you were doing everything as part of being a club man, you know. But uh, yeah, I think ultimately 31 is when I when I stopped. I just literally, the legs couldn't... Um, couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I couldn't get in and out of the car. I couldn't go upstairs. Um, I had to recondition the whole pelvic area for about a year after my 31, 32. Yeah. So yeah, it was one of those. But look, you know, playing junior football for the Celts is is, is a highlight of my career at the moment. <laughs> and and uh, just for say uh, following on from that, um, I'll get Eric's uh, perspective in, in in a minute, but Training camps or team bond, bonding sessions outside of uh, a public house. Do you do many of them in your day? We never heard of team bonding sessions. <laughs> we we had trips. We had, we had great. We had two. Well, I was part of a number of great trips, but they were they were team bonding sessions. But we didn't see a football. And we went to Florida and then we went to San Diego after we won the All Ireland. I think we had a couple of trips and uh, you know challenge games with Tyrone and Derry and Glasgow stuff like that. But no, we didn't have any any Lamangas. Eric was a Lamangas or a Tenerife or something like that. No, we we had some fantastic and I would say memorable trips. And uh, we've been so polite to Pat Gilroy and Desi and Jim for the last hour, lads. I mean, we could really turn the screw on the, on the three of them and a few more now if we had another hour. But no, I mean. Great guys to go away with. Um, we had some 10 days in Florida. I think we had two weeks in San Diego, Mexico after we went. But fantastic trips. I mean, they were just pure um, celebration trips after long seasons and um, great memories. Any standout moments? Like I said, nobody listens to this podcast, so you're fine. You can say anything. I, I tune in. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have two new, two numerous to mention. And, and, and fantastic uh, momentary occasions with some of the guys you know um 
they're for another another conversation, Jamie. And uh, over, <laughs> over, over I'd, I'd hate to I'd hate to bring any myself into disrepute or debate with any of the guys, you know. Following on from that, then uh, Eric, any standout moments from say training camps or, or team bonding trips you would have done? I believe you did kind of quite intense training during the winter. You used to go to Monaghan. Was that before your time? Uh, yeah, I think J- James Hall mantra anyway with the senior team was that um, we had everything within the city walls of Dublin and we didn't need to leave. So we didn't go anywhere very often to train. Uh, we obviously had a few great trips after All-Ireland, but a lot of our training was was done in, in Inishvales or down in St. Clair's in DCU mainly. Um, so yeah, I missed the, the glitz and the glamour of the trainings in La Manga and Portugal and getting the bit of sun in, in April or May or whatever. So that was all before my time. Um, but now we, we stayed in Dublin generally to train and the odd time maybe to break the mould a little bit. We went down the country or we did a few trips down to Clare was about the height of it um, which were were fantastic and you know always involved a bit of golf or something as well which was lovely um, but now we did 99% of our training within within County Dublin itself and Inish Falls is that um, I think I was listening to was Petty Andrews was saying that was kind of was that in the outskirts of Dublin somewhere and it was uh, it wasn't the high uh, performance up, was it? <laughs> It's not a hundred miles from uh from where um Jerry was talking about Bell Camp College or whatever. It's it's around that neck of the woods, just down the bottom of the Malahide Road on the way out to Malahide. So end of the M fifty, but it's uh it's perched nicely in between a graveyard and the pitch will be frozen from you know the end of December to the end of February and finally starts to soften out and just turns into a bog then for March. So um so we trained all the winters. Um yeah, had lots of lots of tussles in the mud and the ice and the snow out there. So yeah, it was it was far from the glitz and the glam of a high performance center with heated benches in the dressing room or any of that crack. So, um, we were very um down to earth, and we, we always that was big Jim's big thing that you know never forget where you came from. You didn't grow up with surrounded by these things in your local club or whatever. So, very much stuck to our roots and often trained beside the Inish Vales team. I don't know if they were maybe Division Four, Intermediate, or Junior A, but those lads would be trained along beside us. There was no uh, there was no airs or graces either. They didn't treat us any differently. They kind of threw a few dirty looks our way because we were on the better pitch of the two most of the time. So, um, yeah, no glitz or glamour training then right beside the graveyard there and then it fails on cold February nights with the tights and the scarves and the hats and all still on. You just see, recognise people by their eyes. You don't even know who you're calling for the ball. It was so cold and foggy and wet most nights. But um, prepared as well for, for league games later on, you know, going up the north at Donegal and Tyrone and Monaghan and all those places. And, Remember we played um played Ross Common in a league game down in Carrick and Shannon one time. Water or Ross Common's pitch was waterlogged or something. It's probably um the wettest month in Ireland. But I remember the pitch cutting up and lads being like, "Oh, sure, this is why we've been training in Inish Wales for the last five years to be ready for this one day." So, um, yeah, always made sure we stuck to our roots, I suppose, and kept us grounded as well. There's no errors or graces. It didn't matter if you'd won two player of the years in a row or 10 all-stars or whatever it was, you were still out training in the bog in Inish Wales in January. So definitely kept lads feet on the ground and that sense of everyone was in it together, regardless of what had gone on in the past. If you were brand new to the squad or if you were there 15 years, everyone had to get through those slog sessions in Inish Wales. Um, George, before we, we move on, uh, who, out of those even team, the, the trips away and, and even during, looking back now, who would have been the kind of the biggest character in uh, in that team? You would have played on. Get a number of characters. I mean, when you look at our, the characters in our group. Oh, John Leary was one of the biggest 
ch children that we had in the group. I mean, John, we the, the, the first to throw a prank, but certainly as a, as a, as a, as a, as a character, as Keith, Keith, Keith was always a great man to be, to be around with, to be around in a group. Um, Paul Curran, certainly. Johnny Barr was, was, was a fantastic character. Vinny himself. Um, I think we were blessed. You know, I think in that, Charlie, I think we were blessed. We were lucky that, you know, there was a great bond within that group because we might have alluded to in, in our conversations earlier that, you know, that group from, from when I was minor in 88, 89, that group began to start gelling. I think from 87 and a lot of the game in Heary and, and, and Paul and, 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 and Paul Curran, they had gone through some tough times in, with Dublin Leinster Championships at the time and, and having lost a number of them, got to 91, 92, 93, 94. Like, so we were, there was a huge bond in that group, I have to say. Um, uh, and it was fantastic to, to, to break into it when I did in, in, in 92. But you got to remember that group went back to, I think even as so far as maybe 86 with a lot of them. Um, I think Clarky can, can, you know, was there with John in particular. But I think, you know, I think it's only then when you, when you blend yourself into that group, you try and be part of it and you try and, you know, we always said there was an element of a north side and south side thing to it. But we had some fun. I mean, you know, after matches, uh, regardless of, bond, you know, we, we had some fantastic nights in Tomangos, you know, and, we'd, you know, we used to go out on a Tuesday night as well. Like, I mean, even after training. Um, you know, uh, Clark used to be a great man for encouraging him. Clark, he was now Finney, Shea Kyo, and some of the younger lads, and uh, Dermot Harrington. And, but we, we, there was a great bond right through the group. And I think that's what led us to the, the mixture of old, you know, youth, um, the young and the old. I think that's what pushed the, the, the group on to winning in 95. Um, you know, a lot of the guys then, you, you know, stuck on for 96, but it'd been to the well. You know, for spare sessions, certainly from '91 onwards, and a lot of great guys have gone through Dublin at that time. Didn't win all Ireland, um, but were part of the legacy of getting over the line that one time when we needed to. But um, certainly a team of of fantastic. Of course, Jason. You know, Jason when Jason Sherlock came along was was a huge catalyst in himself. Would brought again youth with Keith Galvin and um, that mixture, experienced head, old heads. Um, wise heads um that's that's what what you know what, what what got us over the line at the end of the day you know well what about yourself eric sorry what do you want to say George? no just ultimately characters they were great characters yeah and what what about yourself eric uh, i suppose looking back now who would have been the main like characters or leaders in the in the group um in terms of characters i suppose Carmel costello is is a major character he's uh he's a great bloke um been playing with Cormac or played with Cormac for, I don't know, 16 years or something. We were on that same Dublin under 12 team back in the day. We both played hurling football the whole way up and we're on all the same teams and whatever. Um, he actually pipped me to make it a minor squad. He made a minor squad as a 16-year-old, which was incredibly impressive. He was, he was so talented coming through. He was he was the big dog our age, I suppose, and he's still showing that now. He's an absolutely incredible footballer. But, yeah, off the pitch, he's an incredible fella as well. Um Many, many stories um, and just, just an all-around character or a buzzer, as he would say. Just, um, you know, a kind of energy starter gets the place going, whether it's whether it's at training on the pitch or whether it's um, off the pitch elsewhere in other engagements. But uh, he's, uh, he's definitely a lad that, you know, he's so highly respected within the group and a very popular lad that lads love spending time with. And, you know, obviously backs that up on the pitch as well. He can he can mix both quite well. Um, but, yeah, he's, a, he's an incredible character and... 
you know, the cut the self confidence as well, like coming into senior squads with him at 18 years of age. I would have been a good bit more sheepish and just kept the head down and did my bit and got out, got in and got out, tried not to be noticed kind of thing. Whereas he was in there, you know, chatting to the big dogs and letting it, letting it be known who he was and wasn't afraid to mix it and, you know, take the piss out of people who were a lot more senior than him and, you know, sit in different lads' places and take things belonging to them and put stuff in their lockers and all that kind of crack. So uh, he definitely uh, definitely was the, the prankster or the jokester on the team anyway. And, you know, he just didn't change. He was like that at 12 years old and he just continued as 18, 19, 20 to this day. He's just... Uh, just a great character, I suppose, and is always up for a, a good time and a bit of crack, which is always great to have around the dressing room and stuff as well. He always knew who to wind up or who to go after as well or who to pick on and get a rise from and stuff as well. He was the same at 12 as he was then when we got into the senior squad and stuff as well. So um, I always had the self-confidence anyway. Uh, one thing that really has stood out with the with that Dublin team you're on, Eric, is that like how, how nothing was ever leaked from the team in regards to if there's issues internally or if, if you're on a night out and videos circulate, look, without even naming counties at the moment, they always seem to get out. Um, I found it quite amazing how that was always kept kept in-house and never got to the, to the media. Yeah, I suppose that's, a again, that's a learned behaviour as part of that culture, like that we were as tight-knit as you could be. And if there ever was an issue, that it was kept in-house and dealt with in-house and there was no need to, you know, it was... Obviously, we're all from different parts of the county, different clubs, and lads are more than capable of getting stuck into each other on the pitch and club games and the whole lot. But the respect, I suppose, was there that if something did happen, that ultimately we were a band of brothers and we'd look out for each other and make sure that no one was, you know, no one was in the spotlight for the wrong reasons or anything like that. Um, and even you've seen, like, as lads have retired and stepped away and stuff, there hasn't been any major, I suppose, um, opening of a dam or anything. There's not, there's not that there's anything hiding behind it or anything either, but just that respect that lads have spoken about. And I suppose that was a big thing for lads when they were getting to that kind of retirement age as well, that they made it known that, you know, they weren't going to go, you know, spilling the beans on anything or it's just, it's just respect for within the group. And, and like Jer says, like Jer's in WhatsApp groups for lads he played with, you know, 25, 30 years ago now. And I'm sure they're the exact same that they'd, they'd protect each other and make sure that no one was, um, you know, in the spotlight for the wrong reasons or anything. So it's just that brotherhood or I suppose that respect as well, that once you're in that circle of trust, that everything stays in. And, you know, basically you didn't get in if you couldn't be trusted in that way, I suppose. And, you know, there's a comfort in that and and the great support system to have. And, you know, it's a great place to go then if you ever did have any personal issues or anything like that, lads were vulnerable within the environment and knew that no one was going to go talking about them or go sticking messages in club WhatsApps and talking about this fellas after being talking about this or any of that. So I suppose the comfort with being vulnerable is that you have the respect of the room and you create that bond and, you know, you, you do your best to protect each other both on and off the pitch is, is the main thing. Um, and it's an incredibly powerful thing as well. And when it's been built over a number of years and you're coming into it as a young lad, like it's, you just, again, it's it's part of the culture and you adapt to it and you respond to it and you just bed yourself in with it and it becomes the norm. So um, I think it's an incredible thing as well, like that there's no major leaks or there's never any drama or scandal or anything because th- there's not anyway, there's not, it's not like it's being hidden anyway. It's just, like I said, Jim's whole thing was about being good people and in general, obviously lads make mistakes from time to time or whatever, but in general, just being a good person kept most lads on the straight and narrow and kept everyone out of trouble. And, you know, even bits in-house 
games and little bits of scraps and niggles and things. It was always kept in house and there was never any major drama with it. So um, it's just respect, I suppose, and that you know circle of trust and being vulnerable with each other as well was always really important for us as well. Major, major connection with the group. Like lads, genuinely, you know, love and care about everyone within the group, and no one has any egos and there's no dickhead syndromes or any of that stuff. So, um, so that's the main way to protect things from getting out is just that lads did love and respect and care for each other I suppose yeah no definitely and you you mentioned that point the vulnerability um seemed to be a thing by Jim or was that consciously or subconsciously but kind of brought everyone everyone together just on the croaker aspect of it um obviously Eric you were playing through the whole the whole uh six seven years um was there any ever feeling to play games in Parnell in Parnell Park or you know bring the dubs out of Croker? Obviously, Joe, I'd like to get your input as well here in a minute. But what was that? What was it like in camp at the time? I think that like that that was never something that we ever thought about. Like we just we all we all well, my my own personal opinion on it will be that every child playing GAA wants to play in Crow Park. So if you want to win all Ireland's, you, you need to be playing in Crow Park. You can't win an all Ireland without playing in Crow Park. So if any opportunity you do get to play there, obviously it's absolutely fantastic and you're going to bite your hand off at it, whether it's you get to play there once as a 17-year-old in a minor final or you get to play three or four league games a year and five or six championship games or whatever. Every single time you get to play there, such historical significance and it's such a, you know, it's such a passionate thing to do part of the GAA it's the whole core of the whole place is built around it and the history of it and it is Irish culture in essence I suppose to play there whether you're born in you know a remote part of Kerry or Belmullet and Mayo or you know North Donegal whatever it is everyone wants to play there so um, yes privileged as a Dublin player that we we live in that county and that that's where the venue is but if the venue was in Cork we would want to play all of our games there if you know what I mean so it's not for us it's not about where it is it's more just the significance of getting to play there and represent your county there and yeah we always just thought like why would you not want to play there why as a as a child that's all you wanted to do so as an adult why would you not want to play there regardless of who it's against I'd, I'd imagine every county player or every club player in the country would love a shot at it. and you see that with the club championships like having club semi-finals and finals in Crow Park and you know, getting communities in from all over the country for some incredible days. And um, yeah, we, we never thought about it specifically. We never, you know, had a conversation about it. Um, but ultimately, you know, playing in Grove Park is, is the goal. So for us, it was a privilege every time we played there and we, we did respect that. Um, and yeah, we never, I suppose, worried about playing anywhere else. It was never in our control anyway. So we just worried about what we could do and focused on playing games. But obviously lucky and privileged to get to play there more than, you know, your your other counties outside of Leinster as well. No, definitely, definitely. And Joe, what was your opinion of that? We say during those those years watching it from the outside, looking in, did you kind of think it might be good to just to bring dubs down to Kildare or down to Wicklow? You know, again, traditionally at the time, all Leinster Championship matches were, were, were away. You know what I mean? Or were home and away. I mean, I don't think we ever, I can't recall, you know, we played Wexford and Wexford Park. We played, you know, we, I think a Leinster semi-final. Well, the thing is, I know we touched it again, was rivalry too. Rivalry often created the, the atmosphere that created the location, you know, and I think 
you know, Dublin Mead match in 91, 92, 93, 94, and right up to 96, that created an environment where you're going to have 84,000 people in Crow Park. That's what created that. I think preliminary rounds, you know, if we played Longford or if we played so-and-so, I think we went where, in the preliminary rounds, where, where uh, you know, where the GA said to go. And of course, but that created a great atmosphere for GA, Dublin GA fans to travel. But I think we had fantastic, I think we, we had fantastic rivalry with Mead during those years. Um, they were coming off the back of a fantastic 87, 88, 89, 90 period, 91, you know, and then, of course, the Northern team's getting stronger. But in Leinster, we travelled and we, we we had no issue in picking the bags up and going. Um, we kind of felt that we, we knew that there was a Mead or a Caldera to be, to, be, to be met at some point in this Leinster semi-final or final. I think that's what happened. And, and that's what created then that, that you know, at the time, you, were, you win Leinster, you're straight through to an all in a final. So you knew you had three matches in Crow Park. Um, but, you know, as a kid growing up, you, you know, when you're, in, when you're in primary school, the minute you play in a junior team or a senior team, the aspiration is you have coming to Munskull. The coming to Munskull was was the, the core, um, you know, uh, the, the core GA team that, that 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 wanted that that drove you know various different standards of level of football and hurling within the Dublin County. Ultimately the, the finals were in Crow Park. And the minute you were at seven, you know, eight, nine or ten playing a junior match and then you, you know you, you then progress to secondary school. But but guys you play you could play in you know you've played in Crow Park at a young age and then your parents bring you to Crow Park when you're growing up watching Dublin play. I mean that's that's what's 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 always the goal of any young kid growing up, especially is to play in front of that big stadium. Now, what the GA do and decide where Dublin play, it's the aspiration of any kid that stands on Hill 16. Now, by Dublin playing in Crow Park at the moment, at the moment and filling filling out Crow Park with 60,000 of Dublin supporters for for an Leinster Championship game, be it a quarter final, semi final, final. You know, I think it's fantastic for for Dublin people. You know. Parnell Park is our, is our own ground and it's great for club, it's great and it facilitates matches, but it's create the aura, create the atmosphere, create the ability. I mean, other our oppositions want to play in Crow Park, you know, and I think that's 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 what it's there for us to have that the best of the best in front of the largest crowd possible, um, on the best pitch in, in probably in, well, in the best pitch in the region or in the country. Let them at it, you know, let them at it. Looking back now, Eric, that you know, you're you've you're over that that the GA intercounty scene for you know probably the last couple of months you know, coming up to a year. What would you describe the very much professional? Um, and where do you think this professionalism is, is going to end? Um yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question. I suppose it's the access to things that intercounty footballers have now, you know, even since Jer's time as a player has, or even in the last 10 years, in my experience, has just grown and grown and grown. And the, the knowledge and access to things in terms of how best to prepare your body and recovery and analysis and stuff, it's all, you know, there's very little that GA teams are not doing now when you compare it with a soccer or rugby or whatever, we're using the same metrics, the same stats, the same cameras, the same angles, you know, analysis of games. It's We're doing all of that while also balancing a professional career for 99% of GA players, a lot of business owners, um, a lot of high-flying jobs as well. Like, lads are fully committed to other areas as well. So I think, um, I think it is still a little bit understated what 
in the county players are doing like we've we've got doctors on teams we've got lads that are you know running their own businesses or working crazy hours and still being able to do all of that and you know still balance relationships and families and children and everything i think when it's all said and done i suppose if it ever does turn fully professional lads will be looking back and thinking oh my god how were lads still doing all of this and going to work nine to five so i think it's just i don't think it's anywhere close to actually going professional obviously but I think it's professional in all but name and the, the stuff the lads are doing and the way they're preparing and the amount of time and energy they're putting into their bodies and their nutrition and recovery and strength and conditioning and doing their opposition analysis and you know analyzing their own games and psychology behind everything it's it, as far as I'm aware in terms of what's going on in other professional sports there's very little apart from the rest and recovery piece, which can be tricky for lads depending on their jobs, or especially if you know, you're working in Dublin and you're traveling to Galway to go home and train in the evenings or you're, you're going home to Mayo or whatever it is, Roscommon, these places, that's a major challenge on the body. Um, it's still a major challenge for lads who are living and training in the same city or whatever, but those lads, I really don't know how they, how they manage it. And I think they probably don't get enough credit. You know, you still, you'll turn up to games and the lad has an off day and there's still that, uh, you know, lack of, I suppose, empathy for what players are doing. Like where players are treated like they're fully all in athletes that are, you know, fully dedicated their lives because they are, but they're also still balancing all the other bits. So um, I just have so much respect for anyone who's playing inter-county at any level, whether it be, you know, with whatever county it is at whatever standard, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. We're all putting in the same effort and you know doing the same things and looking after the bodies in the same way. So it's it's professional. It's just not labeled as professional. And the 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 men and women that are participating are just incredible human beings. Really, to be able to balance all that they balance and still perform and improve as players, and then balance that with professional lives and children and families and relationships and, and all of that stuff. So um I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon to be honest. Um but lads deserve to be treated with the respect that it is, but also be treated like human beings if they have an off day and they kick three wides and you know whatever it is, their man scores two goals in the first 10 minutes. I think just having that bit of empathy with lads that it is the be all and end all and they're doing everything they possibly can, but they also have to be, you know, recognized as you know, human beings at the end of the day as well. So definitely, um, yeah, no, definitely. And Joe, when you hear that, like you, you must be thinking to yourself, "Geez, compare that to back to my day." It's, uh, it's crazy the advancement that's after happening in 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 GA and in in a GA athlete. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that the strength and conditioning that's gone into players over the last number of years is it's it's just there's been a huge involvement, and and you know we've all run around. <clears throat> the pitches in the, you know, January. Again, timing of the seasons as well is a huge impact on what people did and what teams do now. That's, you know, November and December and January where you were up and we were up in, um, we were up in Belcamp as well, but we were doing the 200s and 400s and, and in, the, in the shit and muck up to your neck, like, you know, but, but that one was giving us the strength and conditioning to take you through to the next level. Whereas the gym walk now would, would get that strength in your quads where the lads were there standing with the clocks on everybody in, 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 with the hoodies open, taking the scores of this, you know, the, you know, of your 200s and your 400s in the middle of, in the middle of November. Um, you know, but that's, that's what took us through an outdoor training during, you know, as you were peaking towards the championship season, you know, where you, where you up 
where the the uplift in strength work was more speed work, you know, and there was a lot of intensity based training around shuttles and movement around cones and you know intensity of moving the ball, but always in drills. Um, but some of that I look back upon, and you know, maybe it was to the detriment of my body, and a lot of groin injuries were picked up at the time, and which again takes it into the next level of strength and conditioning and coaching and and and, and watching the you know, managing your body. But yeah, I mean, fellas gone for the odd point after training or two here and there. And, you know, again, Sunday night after a big championship match, uh, you know, out till two or three in the morning, drinking points. And, you know, we, we, we did all that, but we worked hard. We trained hard, you know, played hard. Um, but we were, you know, and every, I think everybody was conditioned enough in their own, own way to do their, do their own little bit outside as well, but maybe not as much as what, what the intensity is there now today, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely has changed. Definitely. What do you think can be done to, we say, continue to grow GA in, uh, in the Middle East? Um, I know, Eric, you're only over here the last four months, so I suppose this is probably more, more applicable to, to Jar. One of the things I've found a challenge with over the years is is participation um, and involvement of of well the network is here and the Irish community is here. It's 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 we've always every year struggled, you know, from me being a manager, you know, managing the Celts for a number of years. I've stepped in and I've stepped out. I've been lucky enough to win the Middle East League with the Celts twice. I came back and we did it again and we tried, but then I have to try to balance my own professional and personal life with managing the Celts and commit to it. You know, and this year, unfortunately, I did think I could commit, but I set up my own business and I'm, I'm working on that didn't work out. So I didn't have the luxury of taking Eric through the whole the whole season. But um, the thing is, what I cry out for is, 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 you know, we'd love to have a clubhouse. We'd love to have a place where the Celts could mingle. We have the, we have McGettigans and we have a few other places, but there's always what we miss is that element of community regarding where socialising aspect of it. But most important, it's there's a lot of Irish here, and it's that it's about giving time. You know, it's it's how does how do you promote it? Your question, Jamie, was, you know, a lot of Irish guys here who who come and train and play, and there are various different standards, right? Now, you know, Eric can vouch for that. There's 80 guys or 70 guys turns up on a Monday night. We fantastic pitches and fantastic facilities. There's no no doubt about it in Sports City and, and where we play, but. Again, all that comes at a cost, and it comes at a cost to the player, and it comes at a cost to their time. But when players give their time to turn up, we want to make sure that we've got we've got we've got enough bodies there to support that training, right? But it also is is taking that groups of players. There's no point in me running the legs off 60, 70 guys, and guys just want to come out and play. They're junior football standard at home. They'd be junior football standard here. They just want to play, and it means bringing them out for an hour or forty five minutes. And playing nine side matches and revolving them, whereas another. So, one of the things about how it can evolve, you know, from a, I think you can bring more people here in Dubai and in Abu Dhabi, I think in general, you eat to actually participate more because you can turn it, you can make it more sociable. We just don't have, well, we have a lot of Irish here. It's getting them to give their time to commit to because. We're always pulling out the same trough, myself and Paddy Garvey and, and, and a few more like that that have given the time over the years and, uh, and and great guys that have been here for a long time. I just feel that, you know, Alan Freeman is here and Andy Doyle is here and Brady Canavan is here and they've, they've, they've fantastic service to the club and those gone back over the last 10 or 15 years. But we just always struggled to, to um, just have enough 
senior participants, like those guys in the club that are the stalwarts that are will, will do the hard yards and will take a junior team on a Monday night, take a junior team on a Wednesday night, take 30 guys out that can train. But, you know, that's what we'd like to see. I think I think the senior players that are, are, are in the club will, will always give it their bit and the intermediate players. But I think it's just having enough participation within the group that you could we could probably field 10 or 12 players. But remember, we got to travel when you have a local competition in Dubai or you have a local competition in Qatar. Well, you have to be able to bring six teams of, of 12, at 70, you know, six, 12, 72 guys. Could you bring more? You probably could, but you have to be able to manage them on the day. And that's the thing. So for me, it's participation. Participation will bring more involvement. But um, let's say again, time will tell. I suppose the the long term goal would probably be to have like um, a hub like they have over in in Boston. You know, like a, a GA pitch, purpose built GA pitch would be obviously great. But that's probably too far down the the line. Yes, well, we can't complain with the facilities we have, and we you know you know again. I, I forgot to mention Stephen Toomey is the chairman and a great um, great Nemo, a good friend and an Nemo man, but. His involvement and his, what he does for the Middle East GA is huge, but we have Sport City, and we have the local participation of of you know hostilities like McGettigans and like Fairbairs, where we can actually go as a group and mingle and fellas. There's a great social scene to it, but you know having our own pitch will never happen because we, we got to we use um we use rugby pitches you know to 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 to, to play on, but um you know it's it's just really having. The involvement of of taking the responsibility away from the players, maybe, and getting more more having a more social structured um, committee that can support the structure, the organisation itself. Because players, there's a lot of pressure on players who organise the club, manage the club, want to play, want to train, and then manage the social side. I always felt that sometimes we there's so many more people here that could actually give something back. But you know, we've we fought that battle for a number of years, but. Um, yeah, there's definitely. I mean, we have the Middle East League, uh, Middle East GAA uh, team that that's I think that's picked annually. I don't has I mean, for the World Games. Um, so that's the 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 best of of you know Qatar, Bahrain, UAE as well come together. Um, that hasn't happened for the last two years because of COVID naturally. But that's the best of the best, Jamie. That you allude to that you know that participates in the the World Games. You know, and and has, has I think it's won it twice in the last four years. What would your feeling be on the All Ireland Championship uh, this year? Off you go, Eric. <laughs> um, the new structure and stuff, or just like, I suppose without even going into the structure, just opinion on the like who will be the winners? <laughs> Dublin, Dublin, uh, they're definitely hundred percent Dublin. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I couldn't. Uh... I couldn't look past them anyway. Yeah, I think they'll they'll be in a great position come the later stages of the championship. They'll have a tough game coming up against Kildare and it'll do them good and win or lose that, it'll leave them in a good position going forward. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd always say Dublin. I think there's an incredibly talented bunch of lads there and, you know, there's a bit of new blood coming into the squad as well, which is great. Um, and yeah, obviously, um, a poor league campaign by their standards but um, I'm sure over the next weeks and months they'll really ramp up the training and get themselves organised for another good push at it and I know obviously that the lads that are available they're incredibly talented and you know once they get going it, it'll, it'll be hard to stop them but 
Um, obviously, Gary are the, the form team at the moment as well, and be incredibly hard to stop them too. But yeah, I would I would hope to see Dublin, I suppose, get themselves in a position to give it another good go come come late July. Now I think this year is it or early August whenever it finishes up. July, yeah, in the, in the July, yeah. Joe, what's your what's your thoughts on the All Ireland Championship this year? Um, I know obviously Dublin are coming good. Well, I'd, you know, I agree with Eric on the, on the comments about Dublin. I mean, if you look at last year's All Ireland semi final and just the time frame where Dublin were at, I think it was, you know, in losing to Mayo that, you know, the, I think fatigue was was a major factor in last year's, you know, uh, in last year's semi final. You know, but this year, definitely Dublin. You look at you look at the west, the western. Look at the Connacht Championship, Mayo, Galway. You can't you can't see. I mean, I can't see either team. It, it, it depends what, what sort of performances they bring out. I think the performances haven't been seen yet to say, well, okay, you know, who wins the Connacht Championship, how they perform and what way to perform. Ulster is a different ballgame at the moment again with, with Donegal, Derry coming out of the, the, you know, with a fantastic performance and will Tyrone come out the back door, I mean, at some stage. Um, and of course, Kerry, you know, so there's, there's, there's interesting matches ahead to see is there one or two teams, but certainly on form at the moment, you've got to look at Dublin and Kerry. I think on, on form, Derry, Donegal will have the strength and depth that's there whether they come to Crow Park and see. But yeah, I mean, I definitely see a Dublin Kerry, you know, final, depending on how, how, the, how, the, how the, the qualifiers work out, you know. Brilliant. Brilliant. Let's look. I, I think we covered a huge amount. Um, and I'd like to thank both of you for taking time out to come on Inside View podcast. And again, apologies for keeping you so long. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Eric and Jor. That is all from us on this week's episode. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute in any way possible. Please do follow us on social media. Just search an Inside View podcast around the ball team building. That is all from us on this week's episode. Please be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on it fain. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.